Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. If you hunt enough, you learn the truth. What you seek speaks a language and knows it well. That's why every Primo's call for everything you hunt is made the right way. We sweat every detail so you get more out of every hunt and nothing leaves our hand until we know it'll work in yours. Because we don't just make the world's best calls, we speak the language. Primo's. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short sleeve moisture wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C. O-V-A-S dot com and don't go gently, y'all. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. Take a dose of every day How am I supposed to stay Thank you for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This is Rob Snow White. This is Series 1, Episode 86, One Liners. This podcast is brought to you by Ayobayo, A-Y-O-B-A-Y-O, authentic South African dried meat made here in Northern Virginia. This might just be the best snack for your next fly fishing adventure. Available online and at local Whole Foods and other fine groceries in the D.C. metro area. They sell three different products. The first one is Biltong. Biltong is a delicious flavor and texture combination that falls somewhere between jerky and prosciutto. Made from top round beef and using only an old-fashioned family recipe, it is marinated overnight and air-dried for over 14 days. The result is a tender piece of beef with a naturally explosive flavor, available in regular and spicy. Drewers, spelled D-R-O-E with an umlaut, W-O-R-S, is an artisanal dried beef stick that is made with 100% ground beef and contains no sugar. The beef is finely ground and spiced with coriander, cloves, salt, and pepper. The mix is then carefully stuffed into a casing and hung to dry for over 10 days. The third and final product is Borers, B-O-E-R-E-W-O-R-S, a traditional South African recipe, sausage made from beef and pork. The word it translates from Afrikaans into English as farmer sausage. Borers' secret ingredient is coriander, which sets it apart from any other sausage and gives it the authentic South African taste, also available in all beef. If you go to the Ayobio website now, you can sign up instantly for 10% off your next purchase. So I've compiled a list of all the one-liners I say repeatedly on my guided fly fishing trips. And these things are second nature to me. They just come out. I don't even think about them half the time. So I wanted to sit down after taking a month off, not because I didn't want to podcast. I was just lazy. 
Started doing some fly tying YouTube demonstrations. It's rained nonstop for a month. So May was pretty much a total loss for guiding. I maybe had three guided trips the entire month. Sort of getting back into things. So let's go through my bulleted list of 60 plus items that I say on a regular basis. And there's so many more. You're just going to have to hire me to find out what I say. Always fish a bad cast. You may throw your fly down and think, oh, that's not exactly where I wanted it. I'm going to pick it up and slap it down again. Well, you never know if the fish of a lifetime, the fish of the day, the fish of that guided trip is right under that mistaken cast. You never know exactly what might be going towards your fly as soon as you're picking it out of the water. And by picking it up and dropping it again, you're pretty much going to just spook off whatever fish is down there. Some of our fish in the river are very spooky. The snakeheads recently, we don't see them until they take off and leave a big poof of mud behind them. Also, our river is completely stained and muddy because, again, it hasn't stopped raining for a month. Always fish a bad cast because you just never know what's going to be down there. Is your leader stuck inside your rod? Well, put your rod tip underwater and lift up rather forcefully. The hydrogen bonds, the cohesion between your line and the water will stick to the line and pull it out of the water. Now, if you can't get that done and we're in the boat, just lean back towards me and I will pull the line out of your rod. Most of my rods are about nine feet so I can reach them from my rowing seat or if I'm standing next to you in the water. Most of my lines have an additional piece of orange 40-pound amnesia on them, which just allows us to see the line better. And if you strip the line in, the knots on that amnesia are going to get stuck inside the rod. So either put your rod tip underwater and slash it through or hand it to me. Don't drop the rod. The reels are going to get damaged. The rods are going to get damaged. I am allowing you to use my expensive gear on most of the trips. Please respect my gear. When people are casting, I'm just going to say lift, stop, drop. That's the easiest way for me to explain how to cast. That rod has to come to a 100% complete stop on that back cast in order for that line to unravel, uncoil, and straighten out, and then you can throw it forward. If you need all the casting analogies, you can go back to the podcast just on casting. How to pull tangled line from the rod. Let me rephrase that. These are bolded sentences. Let's say you have a a tangled tandem rig on your rod or just a single fly. Don't pull the flies or the dropper line to get it undone. Always pull the leader portion coming from your fly line, if that makes sense. Some of these have to be done in person to be explained. If you pull the fly line, And then the leader, it's going to come undone easier than if you pull the dropper or you're trying to grab the fly and undo the fly. Do it in the reverse order. Always, always, always put your contact information on your fly boxes. It would be great if we could just put our return address labels that we get free in the mail from all sorts of companies. However, those are paper and they're going to come off. Use a Sharpie. Put your name and phone number on your fly boxes. If you haven't lost a fly box full of flies yet, it's just a matter of time. Don't roll cast until your line has come to a complete stop. You need to cease the momentum and the motion of your fly line. So lift the line, get the fly up to the surface, stop the rod, and then drop the rod. Then the line will turn over itself. Again, go back to the analogies podcast. Let's say you hook a stump or a dock or you're hung up on something. And before you just start yanking that fly line and possibly mangle the fly line and snap the leader and lose one of my flies, pull some line off your reel, do a big pause, bring that line behind your head and give a huge roll cast. If you have enough line, it'll go over your fly, behind your fly, and your fly should pop out of wherever it is stuck. 
Try it. I learned that one on a drift boat in Colorado. When you're moving a fly that needs to chug along through the water, shake your rod tip as if there's a bird on it. What would you do if a sparrow landed on your rod tip and you didn't want it there? You'd shake your rod tip. Well, you know what? That same shake's going to give your fly some pretty darn good motion. Another reason also why I'm sitting here at the desk that the podcast took a while is because I got a new computer. My 2006 Dell finally died. So I can email people faster from here. It took a while. Justin and I had to do a sample Skype call the other night. And we should get back to the interviews in about a week. So it took a while to get things squared away down here. But man, it's amazing having a computer that actually works. I dig it. When in doubt, smash the barb on your hook. I had a group uh, of 18 on Friday night. And now the great part about this was at a vineyard and a winery. So I got there super early because traffic sucks here. And I needed to set up all these rods. And if you follow me on Instagram at Rob Snow White, you saw I had all these rods lined up on the floor of the garage. And I had to put a reel on each one, cut off and start a new leader. Most of them were 20, 14, 8 pound. So there were 18 times 2 blood knots. There were, oh, it was a mess. But I got there early. And of course, in a vineyard, they were setting up also. They had me sample the wines, which was awesome. And I got to fish this farm pond that really no one fishes before the clients got there. And then when all was said and done, they sent me home with a Grilled steak and grilled chicken thigh dinner with a rice pilaf, grilled fruits and vegetables. Zucchini is a fruit. Onions are a vegetable. And some roasted potatoes and some arugula. And unfortunately, the wife ate most of it when I got home. It was a pretty cool night. But I tied up all the flies foam depots for that trip on barbless saber hooks. Just so I didn't have to smash the barbs. Didn't have to worry about chaos. I didn't know if all 18 people were fishing. They were also drinking while they were fishing. Everyone had a glass of Blanc de Blanc in their hand when they picked up the fly rod. It was pretty cool. So if you can always just start off with a debarbed hook, you're even better. I'm tying up some foam mulberries for Tuesday. And um, I used a couple of these on uh, saber hooks. I've only got a week left. This is my last week that my daughter's in school before summer starts. So I really don't have any time left other than Tuesday and Wednesday to guide. Thursday is a full day trip with client Alex and his dad who are regulars. We're going to fish hard. And Alex always volunteers to row the boat because he's a college baseball player. He's in better shape than me. I don't know what to call this one, but if your fly line somehow is draped over your rod and you're trying to figure out how to get it off, Especially if you're in the boat, if you have the height advantage, lift your right elbow if the rod's in your right hand, point your rod tip down, and that line should slide right off the rod tip. My client Mackenzie on Saturday never fly fished in her life. She figured that out. I thought her and her dad were pulling my leg that they had never fly fished before because they were doing awesome. She lost a massive largemouth under a bunch of trees on a gutless frog, and then her dad got a whopper as the last, you know, almost cast of the afternoon on a clouser. It's a good day. Do not step on, in parentheses, my fly line. Fly lines are expensive. My fly lines are expensive. I am switching over to the Orvis shooting head version. The, um, what do you call that Orvis line? The bank shot. And that's what I've been using on my 7 foot 11 8 weight bass rod and it it's awesome. It's a $90 line. I don't need my clients stepping on it with their flip-flops either on the boat and degrading my line or during the shad season people were standing on it on the rocks and that just nicks it up. We ended up losing two fly lines during the shad run. One just basically dissolved on us. All the coating came off and one I was fishing and I it was my line my rod. I'm using my own rods and reel now and clients don't get access to some of them. I need to preserve their integrity so they don't completely fall apart on me after all their abuse. 
not saying every client abuses stuff, but people drop things and misuse a lot of gear. That's part of my job is to educate them on how to properly use this gear. And I went to Rollcast and the line just kept going and somehow the line snapped in half on the cast. I don't know what happened, but it was it was rather upsetting to have a fly line that's only maybe a season old snap in half on you. But that's just it. Be careful when stepping on fly lines, especially on a wooden dock. Old wooden docks will mess up your fly line like crazy. Okay. Do not yank back on a fly stuck in spatter dock or you will break a rod. That's happened to us twice so far. Uh, Tell people that and they might not listen. And then they get stuck in spatter dock, which is the extremely fibrous type of lilies we have in the Potomac. And they don't budge. Your fly does not rip through them. The roots do not pop out. It's not like getting stuck in some gentle foliage. This stuff will snap everything you have. All right. The purpose of your rod is you bend the rod. The rod throws the line. The line throws the leader. The leader delivers the fly. It's not you throwing everything. Let the rod do the work and your fly will get out to where it needs to go. Simple as that. Do not eat a nasty meal before putting on your waders. You're going to regret that, especially if you're borrowing waders from me. I don't want your butt funk all up in my waders. And then they have to go in my car, and then they'll air out in my garage. But while they're in my car, I don't need to smell what the bacteria in your gut did based on your gross meal from the night before. You can always eat activated charcoal pills. You should eat those regardless if you're on a road trip, if you're married, if you're anywhere public and you got some flatus up in you, you're going to want to eat some activated charcoal pills. Just remember, they might make your stool a little black. That's just the charcoal. If you've never taken the activated charcoal by now, you should know. Trust me on that. The only shooting stick with one-handed trigger pull adjustments has a new way to keep you at the top of your game. The Trigger Stick Apex. Built for sturdy support that adapts to unforgiving terrain with easy adjustments to make your big shots. With our Durasteady three-piece carbon leg design and interchangeable rock-solid clamp, nothing tops the Apex. The Trigger Stick Apex, only from Primo's. No one needs to enjoy your waiter farts because we're not really enjoying them. All right. If I knew you were going to catch salad, I would have brought the ranch dressing. I always just say that when someone pulls in a bunch of seaweed. It's not funny at all, but it's a one-liner podcast, and that's a one line I use all the time. The fly pattern you have the least quantity of will be the hot fly. You remember the time that Tom and I took a trip up to not Spruce Creek, Little Juniata. Was it that trip? One trip Tom and I were going on. This was about 14 years ago, and he forgot his fly box. I said, you get one nymph, one streamer, and one dry all day. That's for fun fishing. But just in general, it's the fly you have the least of that you're most likely to lose on that fishing trip. That's going to be the hot fly because you're going to lose it, and then you're just going to be pissed all day. So if you want to catch a bunch of fish... Just bring one pattern of a specific fly, and you probably will do better. That's just the way things work. You can try and cast and catch a gizzard shad. I'm just not going to take it off the hook for you. I'm not going to, well, I might net it for you, but I'm going to have nothing to do with that fish if you purposely catch a gizzard shad. If you accidentally catch one, I'm going to come over with my pliers and pop it off. But if you purposely catch it, that's your problem. That fish is just nasty. I don't want to deal with them. I don't really want their slime touching my net. I don't want them to flop in the net and touch me. They're just gross. I'm not scared of them. They're not scorpions and basset hounds. They're just foul-smelling organisms. I want nothing to do with them. Great, they put up a good fight, but they're just nasty. They're about as nasty as you get. For myself and my clients, it's not as important as what fly we're going to fish, but how you fish it. 
if you aren't pulling in a frog the way a frog actually swims, if you're not moving a grasshopper fly the way a grasshopper lands when it's in the water, if you're not stripping in a bait fish and making it move the way a bait fish does in the water, it might not work. And this happens all the time on the boat. I tell people how to fish a fly and they don't listen to me. And one example, we were out on a lake and this kid just was not catching anything all day. And after an hour and a half, that's not really all day, but um, I can tell you where we were on the lake just based, you know, where I was on that lake, that's an hour and a half's worth of rowing. I said, all right, watch this. And I take the rod out of his hand and I'm like, this is how I want you to, to be moving this fly. And I showed him plenty of times before and I was just getting frustrated, which is not something you're supposed to do as a guide, but it happens. Like when, when I say don't cast because there's trees overhead and you cast and you get all caught in the trees and then it's windy and the boat's blowing us into uh, something and the fly gets broken off and tangled, I get frustrated. So I take this foam grasshopper, my little watermelon Chernobyl ant, and I drop it down and I move the rod just like I told him. And like a 16 inch largemouth comes up and eats it and I land it. And I said, and it was one cast. And I said, that is how I want you to be throwing this fly. Like I've been telling you all morning. And then the kids started catching some more fish, but it's not sort of what the fly is, but how you're using it. Now, granted, largemouth bass are opportunistic and they're going to eat pretty much whatever we throw at them. But I wanted to have the specific action. Oh, guess what? It's raining. Look at that. It's um, designed to do something specific and it needs to do that in order for it to work to its potentials. You're going to take more advantage of that fish by catching it, using it to fly the way it's supposed to do. They're more apt to bite it if it's fished properly, if that makes sense. Just like you don't want to have drag on a your little comparadon CDC emerger going across the surface because that's not what that fly does in real life. Uh, if you don't trust a knot, don't fish with it. If you show up and you, you've got your inherited fly reel on there and you want to fish your rod, I'm going to pull your line off and cut your leader off and throw it in the boat or throw it in the garbage can in the parking lot. I do not want your leaders. I don't know who tied them. I don't know what the tippet is. I don't know how old they are. I know nothing about this. And as the terminal piece of equipment that we depend on most, if I can't trust it, it's gone. And I know I can tie some pretty good leaders. They're not that hard. It's just three feet of three different pound monofilament or um, tippet material or whatever you're using, whatever I'm using. It's mostly Berkeley Vanish. I trust that. That's why I've been using it for 2016. I've been using that stuff almost exclusively now for about 12 years, I'd say. Berkeley Vanish. And I know that if I tie you a fresh leader or if I tied it a week before and it's on a reel or if I tied it up and it's just wrapped around itself in a pocket on a bag somewhere, I can trust it. If you can't trust it, get rid of it. They're not that expensive to make or buy. And it's like going out, oh, look, you've got a nail in your tire. Do you really trust going on a... uh, 50-mile road trip with a nail in your tire? No. Not the same equivalent uh, money-wise, but per analogy, maybe it works. Let's see. Where am I? Uh, All right. Speaking of leaders, wind knots have never caused a leader to fail in my entire existence of fly fishing. Now, if my line gets a whole bunch of wind knots or your leader gets a whole bunch of wind knots, I'll probably just cut it out and restart if it's affecting the way it's casting. But I can honestly say a wind knot has never, and if you're not familiar with a wind knot, it's just like an overhand knot that forms in your leader. I've never had one cause fault and we've never lost a fish because of it. I can't even think of a time we've been snagged and popped off a leader 
if we do, it's usually breaking somewhere else or it's going to break eventually where the blood knot was tied, but not because of an overhand wind knot. And we call it the wind knot because we have to blame somebody. If your leader scraped and abrased, I think you should switch it out. If it gets scraped up against the dock, coral, rocks, anything that could cause the integrity of that leader to be compromised physically, non-blood knot or wind knot, you should cut it off and retie. And you should be able to tie a leader fairly quickly. I'd say the speed in which I can do it is directly related to having tied so many over the years. Of course, there's the video of the guy on the interwebs where he ties a blood knot in like eight seconds. I, I think that is just absolutely spectacular. I haven't even attempted to do that myself, but um, I tie him a lot. I tie him often and I can cut a leader off and restart one in the time, you know, you can sit down and, and refresh your water, go take a leak. So I'd rather spend that much time and we'll stay on the boat a minute longer if we need to. If you're using your wrist too much, the first thing I'm going to do is suggest that you use one of my casting assistant bands. It's basically the silicon bracelet, like a Livestrong bracelet. You put that on your casting hand, you put the butt of the rod through that, and then you cast. Now, if you're a six foot four, 300 pound guy, it's probably not going to fit you. Then you should just take a rubber band from the broccoli or asparagus at the grocery store and use that. Now, second, if you're wearing long sleeves, you put the butt of the rod inside the long sleeve. And that will show you if you're using too much wrist. It's going to pop out and get caught and not be able to go any further because it's inside. Another thing you can do is hold your rod in your right hand, take your left hand, and hold your right wrist with the rod against your wrist and then cast. You're going to notice you can't bring that rod behind your head. It just doesn't work. And that's because you're not using your wrist. You're bending at the elbow. I don't want you using your wrist. The less wrist you use, the better. Because if you're on the boat all day and you start complaining that your hand hurts, it's because you're doing it wrong and you're not listening to me. And that happens a lot. I don't want you to bail on a trip early because you didn't listen to me properly and you injured yourself somehow. And we did this in the Keys at the Ocean Reef Club back in the late 90s, mostly because we were worried that our 90-year-old women clients had brittle bones and we thought they might break the bones casting if they were muscling it too much. They, they didn't have muscle. They were older women. But it shows you that anybody can cast if it's done properly. And I tell people all the time that we had women down there that were getting ready to go to Christmas Island. And they could throw 60 feet of fly line. It had nothing to do with muscles and strength. It had to do with letting that rod do the job for them. And the, our casting instructor, Mike Svakianos, was just insane that dude with a fly line and a rod was just an artist it, it was something to watch he'd have a cigarette in his mouth and strip off some line and just shoot 30 feet of backing in like one back cast it was remarkable oh the next one just says you're using too much wrist i don't want that rod coming off your wrist you should look like luke skywalker with a lightsaber coming out of his forearm action figure if you don't know what i'm talking about just look up original luke skywalker star wars action figure and the lightsaber came out of his arm and that it, it should be an extension of your arm there should be no break in the momentum from when you downcast that energy should go straight from elbow up your forearm to the rod to the line to the leader to the fly there should not be a gap, which would be your wrist bending, and you're interrupting that delivery of motion and momentum and energy. This casting is all about the potential energy you put into the rod when you bend it. Loop knots to flies. I'm a big fan of the loop knot to flies. They just give you more action to your fly. They let you wobble them more. I just like the loop knots, the non-slip mono loop and the triple surgeon's loop. And my bacon fly is specifically tied to be fished with a loop knot. It's, it's just the way I did it. It needs that action. All right. Uh, 
there's no fish in the DC metro area that is leader shy. I will be using, I've used 20 pound tippet on and caught fish. I've used eight pound tippet and caught fish. The lightest I will go for a lead fly around here is eight pound Berkeley vanish. Recently we'll use 10 pound uh, on the river but for the most part, it's eight pound. And then there have been times where I want to put a dropper on if we're fishing like the tidal basin just for bluegill. And I'll just put on some 4X and a beat head fly. I can't really say we've broken fish off with that, but I'm, I'm always cautious because we don't know what we have down there. We foul hooked a snapping turtle about two weeks ago and Derek landed it. He's like, look, a snapping turtle, and he casts, and he starts stripping, and his cast wasn't really near the turtle, but somehow, I think it was just the speed of the water, he foul-hooked it in the front left hand. It's all on, it's on my YouTube channel, and then that turtle didn't care until Derek had my pliers and went down to pop it out, and right when he popped it out, that turtle lunged at him. Um, there, there are things you, you might hook. You know, A guy caught a 72-pound blue catfish up at chain bridge on april 9th there are some big fish in our river double hauling is like turning on nitrous on a car think about tommy boy not really because they just ended up inhaling it but think about whatever car movie you can think of and they hit the nitrous oxide and all of a sudden that car is just it's like hyper speed when you double haul you know what? Just go back and listen to Lefty explain it. But it has to do with bending the rod, energy transfer, and you can increase the amount of energy that's transferred into your line to have it unravel like a tank tread. Listen to the Lefty podcast, the previous one. Uh, let's see. Everything around here eats fish. You can't go wrong with a bait fish pattern. The Clouser Minnow is probably the best river, Potomac River fly you will come across. Tie them in a variety of sizes, a variety of colors. I've been doing a very light blue and white, and I'm using the um, is it New Age Hollow Flash from Orvis in the light blue. That color lights up in the water like none of the others do. It's awesome. And I bought 75 hooks from Orvis to tie a bunch of more clousers and I lost them all. So I had to go back right now. I am using Gamakatsu B10S size four stinger from Orvis. They are ridiculously sharp. It's the exact size I like. And I got to do a hairline order to get more bucktail because I, I can never have enough clousers. We lose them. They fall apart. Eventually the fish crush them. I'm back to using Bucktail instead of for years and years using super hair. And I like tying clousers. It's fun. They're not complicated. We did that at Beer Tie in May. June Beer Tie is going to be the sticky back foam mulberry flies. If this gets out before then. The carp eat bait fish patterns. The shad chase bait fish. The bass eat bait fish. The bluegills eat bait fish. The gar eat bait fish. Everything eats fish in our river. So if you're throwing the right food, you're going to catch fish. All right. The lead fly has to be buoyant enough to hold up your dropper. So if you're using a Chernobyl ant and a tungsten head prince, you're probably going to sink your hopper and that kind of negates the whole purpose of using a foam hopper dropper rig. I like to tie my Chernobyls into three layers. So that's one, two, three, four, six millimeters of foam. I'm good at math. Six millimeters of foam. So three layers of two millimeter foam. That's how I get my watermelons, my pink, white, and green color. And that should give me enough. Or my scorpion bug is usually buoyant enough to hold up a dropper. And we're not throwing clouser minnows and reaper flies as droppers. We're throwing... Major 90% of the time, the Snow White Damsel, and then we're going to throw a beadhead nymph like the HNIC or a Wormy. And the Wormies have metal wrapped around the hook shank to help them sink down, 
talk about that soon. But it um, can't have more weight than the top fly can hold up. Otherwise, it sinks, and then you lose the whole dropper rig. It goes underwater. You can't watch them hit your damsel and then see the foam hopper go down as your bobber because it's already underwater. The lead fly in a tandem rig has to be tied on a barbed hook. And we're going to smash that barb. That still leaves a slight nub on there. And I think nub is the correct nomenclature. I think I may have seen that in Fly Tire Magazine this month. They use the word nub. That will prevent the dropper rig from sliding off the bend of the hook. If you tie it onto the bend of the hook, it doesn't matter if you tie it to the eye of the hook or if you tie it a mono loop off the leader, which can be done. I think that was in Rosenbauer's prospecting for trout, and I tied it 16 years ago and forgot how to do that one. I mainly do a dropper rig off the bend of the hook. Grasshoppers don't swim away from shore. So when you're on a drift boat or a canoe and you are out in the water and cast towards the shore, grasshoppers, now the the way to learn this is you just go to the shoreline and you pick one up and you cup your hands and you shake that fly, right? You shake that bug and you throw it in the water. Now that grasshopper is going to land. It's going to get its bearings. It's going to turn itself shore. It knows that being out in that water is bad. It will always swim back towards shore. It's kind of like cicadas being uh, positively geotrophic. When they're young, they're going to go into the ground as larvae. But as adults, they're negatively geotrophic. They want to go away from earth. So if you put a cicada on your arm and you put your arm in the air, it's going to climb up to your fingertips. Drop your arm and point your fingertips down. That cicada will do a 180 and go up towards your shoulder. And if you want to mess with it, as soon as it gets up to your shoulder, lift your arm like you're sure. Only the older people will understand that reference. And it's going to go back up to your fingertips. Grasshoppers don't want to be out in the water. And you feel kind of bad when it gets eaten by a fish, but it's pretty cool to watch. And then you know how the fly should work in the water. So if you are on shore, I would stand back about 15 feet, cast two to three feet into the water, pause, gently vibrate your rod tip because a grasshopper will make several little dimples in the water rings like in Jurassic Park when the T-Rex is coming and that water shakes in the cup. That subtle vibration is exactly what I showed that kid earlier, which caught caught that bass. And then strip it towards shore and you're probably going to get a fish. If you're on a boat and you cast into the weeds and pop it out, it'll look real like a grasshopper landed in the water. But once you start stripping it towards you, you lose that natural action of the bug fish will still hit it trout might be a little more weary bluegill bass they don't care frogs swim away from shore so when you are on shore and this happened to me on friday which is why i thought of it today for the podcast when you step along the shoreline frogs are going to jump in the water and as my zoology professor in college said they are willing to wait longer than you are for them to come out You're not going to be able to sit there and get that frog when he decides to come back out of the water. They always jump into the water and dive down. So when we're fishing the gutless frogs, we throw them up towards the shore and then strip them out. They're not diving down like a real frog, but they're still swimming up near the surface. I'm sure we could fish one on a sinking line and wait it, but it's a pretty darn buoyant fly and it really wants to be at the surface. Your downcast to present your fly should be a similar motion to using a fly swatter. You want to power stroke it down. Hank says snap it. You should be a little more aggressive when you're presenting the fly. It's going to help get your line out straighter, and I like you to have your rod tip as close to the water as possible following that presentation. If you stop with your rod pointed seven feet above the water, that distance between the rod tip and the water, that line is going vertical, and I'm moving my hand up and down like I would with a client, And now I'm going like I'm poking the Pillsbury Doughboy instead of this way, out. Three, four, five, triangle. If your axis that's vertical is longer, your hypotenuse might not be as long as you want, which is your fly line. You have to go look at your three, four, five triangles and and all that 
A squared, B squared, C squared junk. And I'm not talking like isosceles. I'm talking a three, four, five triangle. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. If I can hear your rod swishing back and forth, you're using too much muscle. The rod and the motion of it, if it's not a super windy day and you're not throwing a 10-inch sock size fly, it should be gentle. It should be like you've got a bandana in your hand and you're just throwing it forward and then back, forward and back. Just take a piece of yarn or chenille, do the same thing. Throw it forward, throw it back. You don't have to work it that hard because if you do, you're going to be exhausted and then you're not going to want to fish by the end of the day. If you paid me for eight hours, I don't want to take you in because you're exhausted. I want you to be out there learning so when you go out the next time on your own, you're going to be sufficient, self-sufficient, and be able to cast properly. A fish has three things on its mind. Eat, don't get eaten, make more fish. So fish are going to be positioned somewhere where they can feed and eat as much as possible without having to move a whole lot. They don't want to get eaten, so if you make too much noise or whatever, you're going to spook them. Their startle reflex is pretty fast. So they're usually going to be somewhere where they can either dart into cover or hide into cover, which has to do with the eat part, that they're probably going to ambush their prey, and they're going to be in a spot where they can dart out, grab it, and go back. And then they just want to make more babies. They want to spawn. They want to eat, so they have the energy to spawn, they want to impress the ladies by having a nice, healthy color and shape. They want to eat. They don't want to get eaten because then they don't get to spawn and they don't get to eat as much. Kind of like people, except we just rarely get eaten by other animals. If you back cast when I tell you to roll cast and you hit all the trees behind you, i.e. during the shad run, you will either destroy or lose all my flies that I brought. And at that point, I'm just going to give you some really crappy fly that I don't even would fish myself. And that's what you're going to get. Because if you're constantly breaking flies that other anglers need to use, and you're basically throwing my money and time away because you're not listening to me, then I'm going to have to change things up. You're not so much being punished. It's If you're going to destroy flies, I'm going to give you something in my box that's half destroyed anyway or is just not aesthetically pleasing to me. There's some off balance with it. You're going to have to deal with that. And trust me, people don't listen and they end up hooking trees and they end up hooking spare rods we have in the back and they will hook people. And then they ended up having to go walk through poison ivy to go get that fly out because I'm like, I'm not getting that. You didn't listen to me. I'm not walking through poison ivy. I probably will if I got wellies on. Casting with your wrist is about as efficient as paddling a canoe with one hand. Because when you bend your wrist, you lose that energy transfer. Watch somebody that doesn't know how to paddle a canoe. Both hands on the side of it. Try doing it with one hand. It doesn't work. The transfer of energy doesn't go down the paddle shaft to the blade into the water. Same thing with fly fishing. Here's one that I have to say all the time when we discuss, all right, you stripped all that fly line in. How do you get it back out now to, say, shad fishing roll cast? Well, I want you to put your rod tip down towards the water. And again, we're going to utilize the hydrogen bonds in the water. I want you to make a gigantic capital Z, I call it the Zorro slash, across the water. Go left, right, left. And that line should be pulled out of your rod into the water where you then can lift the rod tip up, roll cast it out, or roll cast, pick it up, and overhand cast it where it needs to be. And maybe I'll make a YouTube video, but I I have to explain that just about every single novice client. It really helps when you're on a boat or elevated 
somewhere where you can point the rod tip down and have that line come straight out of the rod tip. Let your dropper sink all the way before you retrieve that fly. Sometimes they'll hit it on the surface, but usually we're fishing it below the surface for a reason. I want that to be 18 inches downstream. Now, shad fishing doesn't matter because that fly is going to get down there fairly fast. But if we're using a popper dropper, I want you to give it a couple seconds and let that fly go deep. Otherwise, we would just be fishing two foam bugs on the surface. Use a dropper. If it's legal, where you're fishing. Why? Well, you give the fish two options. You give them maybe a T-bone steak and a chicken nugget. You have twice the chance of catching fish. You give them those options. Plus, during the shad run, you get two fish at once. Ain't no one complaining about that, especially when they're 14-inch hickory shad that are about as strong as an 18-inch bluegill. If your hand hurts, you're doing it wrong. I don't want you to have any slack in your line when fighting fish. These hooks are barbless. They will pop right out of the fish's mouth if you give them any slack. That especially happens when we're landing fish. People try to drop their rod tip, and that line goes limp, and it swims off. Always have one hand on your line. When you're casting and playing a fly or fighting a fish, or you are playing the fly, I want you to strip in through your index finger, and then you're going to go to cast, and I want you to have your left hand on it. You always need one hand on the line, except if you're reeling in a big fish. But then you can use your pinky to move the line back and forth to go on your reel spool easier. This way happens when, you know, when a fish bites, you don't have to go reaching for that line. You are in control of it at all times. You're the boss of that line, so have control of it. The fish tells you when to fight it on the reel. If you can't strip that fish in fast enough, and if also if you don't have your finger against the cork, your stripping finger, you're just going to be reaching in the air. And as soon as you let go of that line to try and grab it out of midair where you don't even know where it is, that fish is going to pull all that slack back out and you're not bringing any line in and you've accomplished nothing. So strip, pinch to the cork, strip, pinch, strip, pinch, land the fish. So I said one turn of most of the reels we're using is one crank is about six inches. So if you're reeling that fish in, you're doing six inches at a time versus strip to the hip. Grab that line up by the cork, pull it down with your left hand to your hip, pinch it with your index finger on your right hand to the cork, reach up to your index finger on your right hand, grab the line and pull it again. Strip to the hip. Where am I? This goes with the bullet number one. Just one presentation to the fish. I don't want you repeatedly slapping a fly down in front of the fish. That'd be like you go and eat your BLT and I walk up to you with a brown paper bag and pop it in your face. You're not going to like it. Well, the fish don't like it either. I want that fly to be in the water. Now, if we're in moving water, just let that fly just drift out of your casting spot and pick it up and throw it again. But don't repeatedly bash that water with your fly. I don't want repeated false casting, especially if you're not increasing fly distance. If you're not adding line and you're definitely not drying your fly because none of the flies we use need to be dried on a back cast, you are either going to get exhausted, tangle the line, or you're going to spook all the fish. I want you to have just enough motion and movement on a grasshopper or a rubber-legged topwater popper, fly, scorpion bug. Just enough that those little legs kind of move, like do the fake quotations with your fingers. I want them to move like that. I'm not the guy that has people rip poppers across and make huge popping sounds. I don't fish gurglers. I don't fish cup face poppers. I want a slow and steady retrieve where the fish knows it has an easier chance of eating something without burning calories going after it. If your fly line's hung up before you yank on it repeatedly, strip out, throw a line, roll cast past it. Rod is an incredibly well-designed, efficient tool designed and made to do the work for you. If you do the work, 
you negate the rod's efficiency. Been talking about that for the last 46 minutes. Fishing is like grilling on charcoal. You really should be starting when you're finishing up. Now, I know that you can start at the butt crack of dawn and you probably have an hour or so of good fishing. That's not what I'm talking about because eventually the sunlight's going to come up. I'm talking about that evening hatch. When you're walking off the river, smallmouth fishing, that's the dusk time where the fish are really starting to eat and you're going to miss it. Just like every time we grill, last night we did some beef bulgogi on the, the charcoal grill. And when we were done, that's when the coals were, you know, you always put them on too early. That's when those coals are perfect. But we always end up grilling too early. It's the way it is. Got to start those charcoal chimneys earlier, I guess. Your two variables when variables, two variables when shad fishing are depth and speed of retrieve. Find where those fish are in the water column and then find out how fast they want that fly presented. You do that and you listen to me. There are so many times people don't listen. Now, the great thing about shad is they're not scared of people. I can throw a rock where I want you to cast and you can cast and catch a fish. I can't tell you how many times I took people out and showed them where to cast, show them how to retrieve the speeds, the depths, the pauses, and they're not catching a fish. And then I say, let me, hand me the rod, watch. And I roll cast, I pause and I strip and I'm into a fish. Oftentimes it's the first cast I do it. If you know where those fish are and what speed they want that fly, you can honestly hook up on almost every cast during the shad run. And it will be epic. But if you don't listen, you're not going to be rewarded. You have to listen to me. That is why you are paying me to learn how to fish for these organisms. You're not stripping fast enough for shad. And then you're going to strip faster. And I say, no, we're not fishing woolly buggers. And then you fish it faster. And I say, no, that's not fast enough. If you're not burning your index finger, your stripping finger, when stripping for hickory shad, you're not going to catch them. I want you to strip as hard and fast as possible, which is why I carry stripping guards and band-aids with me because you will burn your finger up. And if you get that strip fast enough and people are amazed, I say, no, you're not. No, no, no. And they, they keep going faster and faster. And finally, that last strip, they yank on it. And you know what happens? You see a silver flash 20 feet out and a rod bent and a hickory shad jumping. You listen to me and you'll catch those fish. It's not what you throw, but how you fish it. Discuss that. All rods catch fish. Some just cost more than others. There was an interview in one of the magazines with one of the guys from Scott Fly Rods. And he equated fly rods to culinary knives. You know, a sushi guy with years of training could probably cut sushi with a dodgy knife. It has not a dull one, but an expensive one. You know, $800 rod is going to catch the same fish as a $150 rod. It's just how you go about doing it. And that is like podcast number four when I talk about fly rods. They all catch fish. Some are just lighter and have more bells and whistles in them. So if you're contemplating buying a rod, you, know, you don't need a $900 rod to start with. And somebody that sells you one in a fly shop might not be thinking about your best interest. They're thinking about theirs. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> don't cast to the same spot twice if you don't get a bite. If there's not a fish there, then you know most of the fish we're fishing for, they're going to bite if they're there. If not... Don't keep casting two feet to the left of that stump. Cast to the right of the stump, cast in front of the stump, cast behind it. Don't hit the same spot twice unless you get a bite. You're just wasting time. And that's why I'm rowing you around the shoreline to different structure. Otherwise, I would just anchor in the same spot and we'd be blind casting to that same spot. And you'll see people work the same spot over and over and over again. And there's probably nothing there. If I can hear yourself, if I can hear you waiting, the fish can too. So if I hear you sloshing around, you're going to scare the fish. 
Your sound it travels further in water than it does in air. If you're going to fall, fall backwards. That goes for shore and boat. I fell in the river in April. I went neck deep. It's because I lost my footing, and the only thing I had to put my hands on was four feet of tidal water. My phone got wet. It took me about three weeks before I could actually bend my knees because I bashed them on the rocks when I fell. And I think I used some profanity in front of my client. But that kid, he never fly fished before. And he was roll casting 60 feet, honestly, with a nine foot five weight. And that kid was catching fish. He was awesome. Don't spit your chaw in the water. Don't piss in the water. Fish can smell that. One hand on the line at all times. If the fly and line are on your left side moving with the current and you're a right-handed caster, cross your shoulder with that rod and roll cast on that side. Otherwise, you're just going to get all tangled up. You can't roll cast on the side where the line is not because it's going to come up and wrap around that rod and make a mess. Buy expensive glasses. Less expensive rods. I had the lifeguards at the pool yesterday with their fancy glasses trying my Costa 580G green mirrored amber lens. And they could not believe the clarity and the colors and just how amazing everything looked. All rods catch fish. Not all lenses allow you to see things. Granted, I'm going to see things you won't because I spend more time on the water than most of my clients. One of the clients yesterday saw a spawning pair of three gar with no polarized glasses. And I looked at him and this is Mackenzie's dad. I was like, you haven't done this before. And he's like, no, I was like, you two are where's, where's the camera. You two are pulling my chain. Cause it's not easy to spot three, three foot long gar in completely stained water without polarized glasses. I was very impressed. My roommate in college said cheap beer, expensive prophylactics. I go the same way. Expensive glasses, less expensive rods. When you're fishing a small fly, I want you to tick that rod along like the second hand of a clock. You don't always have to have two, three-foot strips. Sometimes it's just a subtle twitch, the subtle skate, and the vibrations of a fly rod moving maybe a centimeter at a time instead of stripping a fly in a foot at a time. Try it. I wouldn't tell you if it didn't work. Buy your flies locally because the local anglers know what works in that water. You could ask me to make you conch fritters, but you know what? I'm sure some dude in the Bahamas is going to do it better because he knows what he's doing. Conch's local there. It's not local up here. Plus, I don't eat shellfish. It doesn't even matter. I think that's it for what I could actually think of to write down for a podcast of one-liners. If you want to hear more of them, You're going to have to hire me for a couple hours. There may be some profanity thrown in, but I'm not the guy that yells at you. I'm not the guy that insults you. I don't use profanity towards you ever. I might make fun of you if you keep hooking trees. And I'm going to say to your buddy that's in the boat, this guy's got to walk home tonight. Or I'll say he's got to buy beer afterwards. But I'm the nice guy. I'm not the saltwater Florida guy who's going to yell at you and yell profanity. So that's about it. Please go to ayobayo.com, A-Y-O-B-A-Yo. Follow Ayobayo on Instagram. Follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. Trust me when I tell you to buy this biltong. It is one of the most amazing dried meat items you can buy. And it is not easy to get a permit to produce and sell this in America. I believe Ayobayo may be one of the only two Biltong producers in America. We were going to have to come out to Beer Thai, but we just couldn't get Whitlow's to allow them to bring outside food in. So hopefully a TPFR event outside somewhere, we are going to have Biltong for you. So that's all, folks. Stay tuned. We're going to have some pretty cool interviews coming up. And I'm going to keep on keeping on with writing these podcasts. Thanks for putting up with a month-long delay. And stay tuned. 
Please follow me at Rob Snow White on Instagram, Twitter, Fly Fishy Consultant on Facebook. And you're already listening to the podcast, so you're all right with that. Have a good evening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this one. Stay tuned. Jason, take it away. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Join Waypoint TV and LG channels in celebrating Great Outdoors Month, presented by Battery Tender. Tune in every Tuesday and Sunday in June, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern, channel 109 on your LG Smart TV. You can also watch Waypoint TV at lgchannels.com. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.